It's a startling scene. We find that Shakespeare's Othello in the final act has reached his journey's end. All the roots of his life have finally ended in this claustrophobic place. For the first time, we have a sense that we're in a completely enclosed space, isolated from the outside world. How different from the days when Othello would visit the home of Brabantio as a dinner guest and share stories of his life which would charm Desdemona in this quintessentially warm home where he found refuge, for a time at least. Of all the thoughts we might have about Shakespeare's tragedy, Othello and its themes, passion, jealousy, revenge, marriage, race, and others, we may not settle right away on home, but Geraldo de Souza suggests the place where the tale unfolds is a key. And he would have us think about the brilliant way Shakespeare uses theatrical space. Of course, there is the everyday space of the theater as a building, but there is the theatrical space as illusion, a fictional location that doesn't have to abide by natural laws and is freed up from our usual experience of time and space. As Hannah Skolnikov suggests, such theatrical space has a double nature, the visible, tangible structure of the theater building, but more important, the space created by the performance itself. In Othello, Shakespeare uses dialogue, props, stage conventions, and more to generate a darkness that blurs the boundaries of our perceptions and transforms actual architectural space, all in service of his story's oh-so-dynamic interplay of character, vision, space, and race. So what better theatrical space for the story of Othello to unfold than the new home of the Scranton Shakespeare Festival, an intimate black box theater that will allow us to experience the power of this classic story. Critic Peter Davison quotes Susan Sontag's essay Against Interpretation, Real art has the capacity to make us nervous. And as Davison explains, what is certain is that Othello is not a comfortable play. Neither is its style, its construction, or its matter comfortable. And it ought to make us uneasy, a little nervous. Nervous making, but still entertaining to an ultimate degree. Revisiting the notion of home, D'Souza observes that in the end, Othello has encountered many places of transit, but has not found a place of residence. In this play, he says, Shakespeare compares characters who dwell in houses and those who inhabit non-permanent or temporary places. How delightful, then, that we'll have a chance to experience that tension in the new, more or less permanent home of the Scranton Shakespeare Festival when Othello opens this Friday. Michael Bradshaw Flynn co-founder and artistic director, paid a visit to the WVIA studios to talk with us about the festival, its history, its present, and its vision for the future. It started what will now be 13 years ago. We're about to enter our 12th season, but it started with an idea of just bringing a few local actors as well as some out-of-town actors together to do a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream at Nayog Park, and we did two performances. We were hoping for about 100 people, and we wound up getting really close to a thousand people. And from the, you know, modest donations that different people were able to make, we were able to become a 501c3 organization. 
And every year since that time, we have grown in one way or another. So now we not only offer Shakespearean productions, but we also offer musicals, new works, dance pieces, operettas, melodramas. It depends on the year, but we're always trying to make sure that we are not only offering the Bard's amazing text, but also offering material that might be a little bit different, because I think we often forget that not only was Shakespeare an amazing writer, but Shakespeare was a producer, a director, an actor. So he knew, you know, you have to sell it. People have to be coming to see your work. And so that's why we make sure that we don't limit ourselves to Shakespeare's work. But of course, it's a bedrock of what we do. And, you know, in this time of AI and chat GPT and writer strikes, where we're literally seeing huge studios having surveys whether we need scripted entertainment anymore or if reality television will suffice i think it's all the more essential that as an organization we are delving into the english language and the themes that come with scripted work i always like to bring up the venues because you do think outside the box you have a home now and we'll talk about that but you've been on a baseball field you've been at the scranton iron furnaces to do site-specific pieces to, again, open up our imaginations. Right? Yes, I mean, it's funny what necessity will do. Necessity and desperation go hand-in-hand hand with creativity. And in years past where we didn't have the luxury, whether it was because of COVID or just venues receiving renovations, we've had to think outside of the box. And as you said, those are some magical moments. I mean, Damn Yankees is a great show, but seeing Damn Yankees at the Yankees minor league stadium at PNC Field was something that Broadway can't do, you know, and the Iron Furnaces having our production of Ragtime and Hamlet there. I mean, that's that's a set that can't be built even by Apple Studios. So to know that we were able to present work and think outside of the box, those those different ambiances become a character in and of themselves. So we have been really grateful and challenged in a good way to find new creative ways to bring the content that we produce to our audiences in these different locations. And that's something that I certainly love bringing people to different areas. There are so many people who have never been to the Iron Furnaces, who've lived in Scranton their entire life, who came to see our productions and had said, you know, we drive by this every day. My grandmother lives up the street and I've never been here. And so we were really happy that we were able to help a little bit of um, tourism and help bring people to different cultural sites, especially historic sites in our area. But what about this new space? The Shake Space at the Marketplace at Steamtown. We're very excited about this. We have actually performed at the Marketplace. We did a How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying in the center court. And then last season, we presented two performances in a different space. And the Marketplace team was really happy with the work that we did last summer. And they said, we're renovating this space and turning it into another half of our dentist office. But we've got a spot across the way, which you might want to take a look at. And so we painted that whole space black and renovated the front of house and we're really excited to finally have a home base and not only are we excited to produce the shows that we are in that space but also to be able to host art exhibits on first friday events and have different sort of events happen throughout the year as opposed to just the summer it's been really integral in that sort of growth for the organization so we're really happy 
There's tons of people who come by and take their flyers and have plenty of questions about what we're doing. We've got a window display on Lackawanna Avenue, so a little bit more presence in the downtown Scranton area, which is really lovely. But yes, it's been it's been great having a home, and they have been incredibly generous letting us have a year there, and we're hoping that everything goes very well this summer, and we'll be able to renew our um, lease. <laughs> You've talked to us about the way you, as artistic director, think about a season. You gave us a sense of the different types of pieces you might program in the course of a summer. But specifically, you think about, well, if we're going to do a heavy Shakespeare, we're going to do a lighter musical, that kind of balance that you seek. What went into this season and your thoughts about pulling the pieces together? Great question. This season was a bit different than all other seasons in that we had a different season planned. And when we had the great news about having the space, we had to reassess and think a little bit about the titles that we were going to produce. And things changed because we wanted to make the most of this intimate black box setting. And so that was one thing that we were sort of marinating on, one sort of prompt. And then the other thing, as you mentioned, is we have to look at where we are as an organization, and it's our 12th season. So I've sort of been personifying the festival itself as a person, as a child, if you will, and thinking of a 12-year-old, what is important to a 12-year-old. And the organization feels very much like a 12-year-old in that we're no longer a kid, yet we're not quite a teenager. So we're sort of on wobbly adolescent knees sort of bracing for some of those painful growth spurts, some of those exciting growth spurts, trying to make the most of the foundation that we've been building up on, but also finally starting to lift our gaze a little bit and look at the horizon of who we want to grow into as an organization and a theater company, not only in a local sense, but in a national sense and even a global sense as far as the work we're programming. And so we started thinking a little bit about that and what's important to you as a 12-year-old. And what came to mind for me is friendship. Friends are such an integral part. And as you can probably attest, fundraising is very difficult in this post-COVID time frame. We are having a really difficult time. Although we're having very enthusiastic audiences and people are attending the shows that we're doing, we are having to really rely on our seasoned donors as well as our in-kind donors and the generosity that people are able to share at the end of our shows in order for us to survive. And we started thinking about that sort of theme of friendship and how important that is. And I think some of these works are quite an easy jump to make as far as starting off with You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, a musical, that iconic Peanuts gang, friendship, really evident there, but also looking at shows like Othello and sort of exploring the dangers that lurk in false friendships or friendships that are built out of malice and untruths. And then, of course, Rent, a show that were a musical, pop rock musical, that has always had quite a bit of cultural significance, I think, in the Broadway musical world. But now sort of exploring the content after COVID, which I think, you know, it's a different pandemic. This was the AIDS epidemic, but sort of looking at it and showing how integral those friendships are, not only for us while we're here on Earth, but also about the lasting contributions we make to a society and culture. And so it's it's a lot of different things that have gone into this season. And like you said, we do try to make sure we balance everything out with something a little more adult, something more family friendly, somewhere in between on everything else. And uh, we're really excited about this company of performers, as well as the material. And I think doing these performances all in this very intimate space 
makes for a very exciting experience. And quite honestly, I don't think I would be as excited to see these works in a classical state-of-the-art proscenium. I don't think you would feel quite as connected to the fun of Charlie Brown, the immersiveness of this comic strip coming to life. Or, you know, even the, the dark themes of Othello, we sort of want everyone to be in the action of that and feeling the experience of these difficult themes and subject matter that we're exploring in that piece. We want them right there with us. But also Rent, I think we're used to seeing that in a proscenium stage on a big Broadway theater. But now Simone Daniels, who directed Cabaret, our site-specific Cabaret, is, is helming this production. And we're really excited to bring everyone into this Lower East Side, early 90s grunge musical setting. So I'm really excited for these particular titles in the space that we're doing them. You have more and more sense of the importance of building young people's theater as well as the companies being 12 years old. But you are working more and more now with young people to try to expand an audience for theater, a love of theater, so that young people have an experience of real theater and and get their imaginations going. Totally right. I mean, we are expounding our youth theater ensemble, which is an ensemble of local area students from 30 different schools. So we're very excited to have this consortium of talent. And not only are they going to be performing The Lightning Thief, the Percy Jackson musical, but for the first time this season, we're actually having the youth ensemble tackle a full Shakespeare, and they'll be presenting Twelfth Night. So we're really excited about how that program's growing, the enthusiasm and the innovation, and we're really trying to stretch what an experience is for these young people in the arts. I know when I grew up, there were so many wonderful arts organizations to express oneself, but there were very few opportunities for students to get an experience with direction. So we have people in this youth theater ensemble who are serving as assistant directors and associate directors to the main stage productions. And we have some of them who are helping out with lighting design as well as costume design and wardrobe. So we're really excited that we're able to expound the artistic talents than just singing and dancing under a spotlight. Not that that's not important, but we're happy that we're pushing that. But also, I think where we are as an organization because of the financial constraints we're under, we are taking on, even in our main stage company, a lot of people who are earlier on in their career. But what is so exciting is to see the trajectory of people who have come from our organization. We have Broadway producers who started with us. We have people who are on, you know, every television show. I mean, I can CSI, Law and Order. We've got a lot of really great talent. People performing at BAM, someone who is in a Broadway play, someone who's producing Broadway plays. So it's really great to see that cultivation and see how everything's sort of coming out a few years later. Because like I said, when it started off, it was just a group of people learning some lines and, you know, dancing on ladders and jumping around in kiddie pools in New York Park. But to now sort of see what's harvested from that is is quite emotional. And in our space, we have a lobby where we've got quite a number of production photos from all of those years. And there's this really weird pressure that comes with, you know, those late nights in the theater where you're painting a space and then you're looking around at all of these faces and sort of saying, wow, this person is playing the lead in Harry Potter, the Cursed Child in San Francisco. This person is now a lead on the Lazarus Project. And there's a certain pressure that comes with sort of caretaking the organization that these people have spent time working on. And another thing I love about our organization is that it's a rep company, and that's a bit of a dying art. So I think people who tend to come and work with us are probably looking at their contract thinking, well, I wish I was getting paid more, but at the same time, too, 
rep theater is a dying art, most especially people who get the opportunity to work on not only Shakespeare, but also a musical. You're either doing rep straight plays or you're doing rep musical theater, but they rarely intersect. And I think what's really exciting about the work that we're doing is that they do intersect. And even that person who's like, I can't sing a lick of note. Well, great. You're going to be a homeless person in rent and you're going to be helping with the transitions and you're going to be dancing around for La Vie Bohème. And, you know, we can't wait to see you play Cassio in Othello. So it's, it is a really sort of lovely experience experiment to be able to focus on a tradition that was really popular in, in America in like the early 1900s that has more and more become a bit of a dying art. And I think people tend to separate the two art forms, but the truth is that Shakespeare did write with rhythm and, and emphasis. And so I think there's a lot more intersection between straight theater, musical theater, and Shakespearean theater than people tend to realize. And it's really fun getting to watch different performers work out those muscles. It's not just that Othello's going to be performed in a small, intimate space that it's going to make this production a Scranton Shakespeare Festival production. What are some of the things that we will experience in your rendering of Othello? I'm excited because our Othello is actually being played by a vet, which I think is something that we don't get to see often, but Jason Nadal is playing the titular character, and I think there is something to be said about playing someone who's served in the military versus being someone who has literally been right on the front lines and seen explosions and spent quite a bit of time seeing that, now being able to bring that to an intimate space. You know, you can do all the Uta Hagen and Chekhov work that you want, but at the end of the day, that's uh, that's sense memory that not many of us have. And so we've tried to get him for a few years to come play with us. And this is finally the year. And he actually understudied the role. So I think there is this great uh, expression that's going to come out because of him having the experience of having to learn the role so well, but never being able to let the lid off. And now in this current production, he's going to be able to just sort of set sail. And I'm also really excited because the director, Savannah Askew, was actually an actor in our year 10 season. And we often joke that he was sort of the MVP track because unlike everyone, he was in all five productions. He was a, he was our Cole House Walker Jr., the lead in Ragtime. He was a smaller role in Midsummer, but he was our Horatio in Hamlet. He was Cinderella's Prince in Into the Woods. And he was also the lead in our new play, Conversion Rate. So to have him, someone who very much understands the form and chaos of Scranton Shakespeare Festival to helm this production as a director, again, just goes to show what you're saying. This is someone who comes from the University of Michigan's theater program, which is quite arguably the best musical theater program in the country and maybe the world. So to have someone who stars on The Ascendant and is going to be on Broadway, on tour and on television in only a few months, in my guess, to be able to say, okay, before you get too famous, Let's stretch those director muscles because that's something that he's always wanted to do and this is one of his favorite plays. And I thought it was important that we had a, a person of color helming this production and telling this story because, you know, Shakespeare wrote it quite a long time ago and it was a very different worldview. Unfortunately, not as different of a worldview as I wish it was, but I think it was important that we had somebody who could really sort of understand the, the difficult racial aspects of this play navigating us through it and he's been doing a beautiful job i was able to watch a bit of the stumble through today and just the text is so clear 
you can understand every bit of it. And I think when you have a show that is so difficult and I don't want to say controversial, but when the subject matter is that pointy, I feel like it's very easy to understand what's going on as opposed to sometimes a more historical text. It takes a little while to understand the references. This play feels like modern, modern dialogue. They've been doing a great job with that. So I'm very excited to see that as we add lights, camera, and action to it. And what about Desdemona and the question of women today and what this play has to bring to us? I mean, it's it's always, unfortunately, a question with Shakespeare. There is a lot of... It was written in a very patriarchal time. Uh, there was a lot of misogyny in the roots of it. So we we unfortunately have to sort of chew on that. And a lot of times what we try to do as an organization is, like Shakespeare says, hold the mirror up to nature's image and showcase those sort of harder to digest moments and not in any way condone it or encourage it. Uh, so that is something that we look at as well as, you know, a lot of times our directors are female. So we try to make sure that that gives a little bit more agency to the way that the, the piece is, is handled. But it is, it is hard. And that is a an ethical dilemma a lot of times directors have when it comes to presenting Shakespearean pieces. It, it is a difficult part of the subject matter considering the context is, you know, from the 1600s. So we, we are trying to navigate that and I can tell you it's heartbreaking and it's really hard to watch. But I hope that, you know, there are some female presenting performers taking on some male roles. So I hope that adds a little bit of a different gaze but it is definitely that ethical question, and it's why it's hard for me. It, that's it's why we've never made the leap to do Taming of the Shrew, because it's very hard to have a woman look at that audience and say, you know, I am his goods, I am his chattel, and you know, just base. It's it's a hard thing to condone, and truthfully, we've been wanting to do Othello for about nine years now. Since year three, we've been toying with the idea of producing this work, and it's never felt like the right time. But I think. We broached a lot of serious subject matter in our 10th season that we finally have found our place as an organization. And we think we've established our reputation as well as the way we were going to present this particular piece to the public in a way that we feel like we are handling it with as much care and sensitivity as is needed for it. Othello, good man Charlie Brown, what a juxtaposition. You're telling me, and these actors are literally going from stumble-throughs this morning to now one more stumble-through of Charlie Brown to then opening Charlie Brown, so they are really running the emotional gamut of their emotional, physical, mental instruments, uh, and they're doing it beautifully. And I'm, you know, as always, I'm so grateful for the full company, not only the cast, but also the crew who was just indefatigable, and one show after the next, and it is a lot of variety, but I think that's that's how we strengthen, you know, all of these actors' muscles and crew muscles to provide them for the great careers that, as we were just chatting about, we've been seeing unfolding for a lot of our alums. Tell us what we do as a listener if we want to know more where or when. Speaking of who knows where or when, you can tell us. You can find anything you would like about us at ScrantonShakes.com. We are also located in the marketplace at Steamtown, so feel free to pop in, say hello. We're on all the socials. We even just joined TikTok. I know nothing about that. I'm leaving that to the youth ensemble, but we are on Instagram, Facebook. But the most comprehensive place to check us out, learn more about the company, would be through ScrantonShakes.com. 
Now, do you think about the fact that there's the Lackawanna River and there's Stratford on Avon, so you're Scranton on Lackawanna? Is there any sense of that? Oh, Erica, there's that big historical building right there on the Lackawanna Bridge as you're going by like the old bus station, the Abdallah building, the railroad building. We've toured that twice. We would love nothing more to make that the federal theater project and create a theater that is accessible not only for the people of Northeastern Pennsylvania, but the entire world. <laughs> so Joe Biden, if you're listening, we, uh, we've got plenty of ideas. Uh, so yes, you know, they say there are positive ions by water. Perhaps that's loaning itself to our, our creativity. But, you know, the sky is the limit, really, for this organization. And it's funny because we do have so many constraints given finances, as, you know, it's a dance that many of us are familiar with. But our aspirations far exceed our limitations. And I think that's why we've had the success that we've had up until this point. And you know, I think one day when that capital comes or when our hood musical goes to Broadway, once we start getting or an endowment, I don't know. But when when it starts coming in, I think there is a lot of really great foundational work that's been done that we are ready to rise to the occasion however we can. Michael Bradshaw Flynn, co-founder and artistic director of the Scranton Shakespeare Festival, speaking with us about the 2023 season. The season will include Othello, Your Good Man Charlie Brown, Rent, as well as Twelfth Night, presented by the Scranton Shakes Youth Ensemble, as well as The Lightning Thief, the Percy Jackson musical. Tickets are free, but you need to reserve to guarantee you have a seat. Tickets are available online, scrantonshakes.com, scrantonshakes.com. The Scranton Shakespeare Festival taking place at the Marketplace at Steamtown in the Shakes space. Again, for more information on the web, scrantonshakes.com. 